Marcus Sahaba Online Radio. Empowering the Ummah. There's something huge, dear listeners, of Marcus Sahab Online. And uh, I don't know why this is. You know, there was reports, now many reports, that uh, there's going to be um, a wheat shortage, flour shortage. And I went to I went to the store yesterday. Off the shelf. I was shocked. Flour? Here in South Africa? Off the shelf? Subhanallah, subhanallah. But I said, okay, maybe it's Ramadan, people preparing, uh, people getting ready, you know. Uh, but then we noticed the price of petrol also starting to rise, price of petrol starting to increase. And we did speak about this before. We did speak about this before. And now, you know, I, it's I, it's not in South Africa's hands. It really isn't in South Africa's hands. So those who are saying, no, South Africa needs to buck up, not South Africa needs to do this. Unfortunately, this time around, uh, we can't blame South Africa for the petrol price. Now, Russia, one of the largest producers in the world of oil, is obviously a bit busy right now. And uh, this is affecting oil prices. So, it's starting to come home. Prices of petrol starting to go up. And, uh, you know, petrol could increase. And with that, many other things are going to increase because, um, like we have the producers going to be needing more fuel, the wholesalers going to be uh, uh, needing uh, more fuel uh, to do their deliveries. But... Um, it's 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 starting to look a bit scary. Now we're going to be speaking once again to Dale McKinley. Uh, we didn't we spoke not too long ago, uh, just before the war started. Now he's a he's a researcher and lecturer based in Johannesburg, PhD in international political economy. And I think let's ask the experts rather than give my own uh, two cents. Dale, uh, good afternoon and thank you for joining us. Good afternoon, Yusuf, and to your listeners. Uh, Dale, as happy as I am to have you online, I was hoping this interview takes place uh, later or never rather than sooner. And I'm talking mm-hmm. about the petrol price starting to increase, the war in Russia. Uh, you know, starting to have, or, or Russia's war starting to have an impact around the world. It's coming home to South Africa. And how badly is it going to affect us, Dale? Well, look, I mean, it, it is going to, it's going to affect everyone. So it's, uh, South Africa is not unique. Um, the sanctions that have been placed on Russia by mostly Western countries have, are beginning to bite, uh, particularly around oil. Uh, but there's also a lot of speculation, um, as we come to expect, particularly in the oil market. Uh, as soon as some little conflict arises, I mean, this is not small conflict, but as soon as we see, we see prices of oil shoot up and then come back down and shoot up. So, it's to be expected. Um, our situation, as you pointed out in some of your preparatory remarks, uh, is similar to many countries and that we are largely dependent upon oil imports. Uh, but we do have some degree of control. So it's not as if we are completely, uh, you know, just hostage to international market forces and everything else. We don't have uh, control over the price of crude oil, uh, but we do have control over some of the additional pricing mechanisms uh, when the fuel comes into our country and is refined here. Uh, for example, the taxes and levies and surcharges. So of the 21 rand something that we're now spending on, on every liter, about eight or nine rand of that is surcharges and taxes. Uh, so there is some degree of, of room for maneuver, um, and uh, it's a question of the political will of our state and, and, and private sector to, to cushion the blow, uh, particularly uh, as it has all the knock-on effects, as you mentioned, from transport to food and other kinds of things. But 
Having said that, uh, we are in for a rough ride. Uh, the prices are going to increase, and we just need to find ways in order to deal with it. Um, yeah. Well, definitely, and uh, you know, I think uh, this is this is a major concern for many South Africans. And like you said, uh, you know, spending that eight rand, and I've I've mentioned this quite a few times before. It just feels like this fuel price is a bit of a cash cow for the government. And I, it just, uh, what's what's the chances of government actually absorbing some of the shock? Uh, because they will come a point where they say, look. We've we've absorbed too much of the shock, we or, or, or of this petrol price increase. It's saturated now, and there's no way we can take more. Do you think? Number one, do you think government will ever acknowledge to say, guys, we are going to step in and we are going to try and help with this? Well, I, if they were, if they're politically smart, they will. Um, I mean, you know, any government is is in, in a, at least in a democracy is is should be paying attention to what the voters and to what the constituents think, and and obviously. South Africans have been hit very hard in the last two years from COVID, from all of the economic downturn. And it's not simply a matter of, for example, saying, okay, we'll, we'll absorb another rand, two rand, so we can take the, the down to below 20 rand a liter. It's also a question of, of, of identifying who's the most vulnerable to these shocks. Clearly in our country, the vast majority of the people that are going to be mostly hurt are the unemployed and the poor. Uh, because, for example, there's taxi transportation, your food at the local spaza shop, uh, transport, all these other kinds of things. So the question there is, it's not necessarily with the fuel price, but where can other interventions happen? Um, we've been calling for a basic income grant for a long, long period of time. The state has basically said all we can afford is 350 rand special social COVID grant. Uh, that's not enough. People, uh, so the government needs to cushion this in and, and job creation programs, mass public works programs so that people can actually earn some income as opposed to sitting at home all day long and trying to get peace jobs. These are the kinds of things that government can do. Uh, but unfortunately, our government seems to be sitting, uh, uh, sitting on the side of the curb most of the time when it comes to this, blaming everybody else but except themselves. And uh, in, in this case, also the private sector, we need to pay a little bit more attention to them because the price gouging, in other words, taking advantage of a situation and then raising prices all the time and saying, well, it's because of this, it's because of transport. Uh, we've seen food inflation rising in the last year quite substantially, irrespective of the before the war in, in Ukraine and these kinds of things. So price regulations on basic foodstuffs could be another element of intervention from the state. Well, definitely. And, uh, you know, Dale, I think uh, it's it's nice to see. And I think quite a few people uh, know, know, sort of have that feeling that there is room. There is something that government can do. But I just feel like, uh, you know, as, as far as this, uh, many South Africans have sort of are starting to lose hope in, uh, you know, government stepping in and helping as far as many aspects of South Africa is concerned. But now the Russia-Ukraine issue. The longer it's going to draw out, the higher the price of petrol is going to get, uh, the price of oil. Uh, we've uh, heard uh, rumors of Joe Biden may having uh, to go to Saudi Arabia to ask them to produce more oil. But the longer this carries on, the price of oil is going to increase more and more. Is there a point where price the, 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 the increase of the, the, the price of oil will stop where Russia and Ukraine are still fighting to say, OK, this is as much as the world can produce. And this is the, going to be the constant price. Or is it going to continue to, to, to get higher the longer the war draws out? 
No, I'm not one of those that subscribes to the latter view. And uh, there's no inevitability uh, to price rises and, and as a result of this war continuing. The, the, if, if, in terms of oil, there's plenty of oil in the world uh, right now to meet the needs. The question is, is whether or not the male oil-producing countries, the OPEC countries in particular outside of Russia, are going to do that. Uh, it's in their interest to restrict supply. Uh, because the price, the, the larger, the uh, you know, the less supply, the, the higher the price. So they're going to make a lot. This is what I was talking about, price gouging. So it's not just corp, corporations and private sector. It's countries mm-hmm. such as Saudi Arabia. The second thing is, is that you take a country like Venezuela. Venezuela is a major oil producer. But because of sanctions from the United States and another geopolitical battle that it's having, much of the Venezuelan oil is not finding its way onto the international market, or at least certainly not in the West. And so that's a constriction of supply. You've got Angola, you've got Nigeria, you've got a whole range of other countries that are not producing to the extent that they could. So there is maneuver for a large upscale of putting more oil into the market and therefore the price going down. But the fundamental question is always, it's not necessarily the objective reality, it's the subjective, which is, are we going to, uh, are people themselves going to demand that people don't profit gouge, that they don't raise the price artificially in order to just make much more money? And so I think it's, it's a political question. It's not simply an economic question. Well, definitely. And I think this is just, uh, you know, just it's just another example. It just feels like humanity is starting to lose their sensitivity because we've seen this countries do have, and I was very vocal about this when, uh, you know, the OPEC countries plus Russia got together and they said, okay, we're only going to produce this amount of oil. This is going to increase the demand of oil. Uh, this is going to increase the amount so we're going to be paying for it. And it just boils down to pure greed. Yes, I think the greed is, a, a, is another factor. But then the, the, there's another side to this coin, Yusuf, which is us. You were saying, you know, we're not helpless victims as citizens. We can change our habits. This is a good opportunity to ramp up alternative fuels and alternative energy sources. We have been talking about how we need as a world, not just a country, but as a world, to lessen our dependence on fossil fuels. Well, here we go. Uh, we have, a, we have a, a supply issue. So let's begin. This is not a short-term solution. Obviously, it's over a longer term. But if, if countries and if, if, if citizens begin to demand moving towards more alternative energy sources uh, that are not reliant on a few countries for fossil fuel production, then the next time we have a situation where we have an international war, the, the impact will not be as great. We need to learn these lessons. If we just sit around and say, well, it's nothing we can do, well, then we've given over our futures to those that are going to make those decisions for us. And I think that's the other lesson in this, is that citizens must step up. Uh, we have uh, pe- people, the, the whole basis of a democracy is that people have the power to change things. And if you believe that, and as opposed to sort of sitting on the couch and just complaining the whole time and wringing your hands and saying, there's nothing I can do, it's out of my control, well, then that inevitability will, will be there. But I think that here's a clarion call to a lot of uh, South African citizens and others to step up, to get to take these things into our own hands and to do things that would, um, for example, lessen our dependence. So let me give you a practical example of how a family in a suburban area, for example, can make a contribution to making things less as the fuel price is going up. They can begin, instead of all South Africans driving around one person per one car, if you look on the highways, how many people in one car do you see driving their own car? vast majority of them. Why don't we start carpooling? We've got to change our habits and our attitudes in order to change to the new political and economic circumstances. If we don't, and then we still complain, well, we only have ourselves to blame. 
Well, definitely. And, you know, this is something I spoke, we spoke about uh, quite a while ago, I think. You know, as far as being proactive for, 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 for South Africans, for example, I love this idea. And, uh, you know, it's something we want. It's something we need. Carpooling is a fantastic idea. Another idea, tell me what you think about this one, Dale, is uh, we proposed uh, more cycling lanes in different areas. <laughs> because, uh, you know, it. I, I don't think it's, uh, uh, it, it's a lot of layout as far in terms of finance from government is concerned, but how many people, I'm six kilometers from the office, how many people would appreciate the cycling lane, get up their vehicles and get a bit healthy in the meanwhile? Well, I think it's going to be a minority. I, in my area, my neighborhood in, in Johannesburg, they built cycling lanes uh, here in Auckland Park, Melville, next to University of Johannesburg. About five, six years ago, they built cycling lanes. Mm-hmm. But because they haven't maintained them, and because they, the, the police don't uh, 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 basically stop the taxi drivers from driving in the middle of the, the lanes and driving on the side, very few people want to use them because they're too dangerous. So if we're going to lay out infrastructure, and it's great if we're going to do that and encourage people to do it. But then we have to have a range of other kinds of measures that allow people to feel safe and allow people to feel these things. So it's not just a once-off business. But yes, the, the, the larger lesson is there to be learned, which is, you know, when times change, we have to change. We can't just have things just the way we want to all the time. So if you're willing to fork out another three or 400, 500 rand a month on fuel so that you can drive your two or three kilometers to work, instead of actually just taking the effort to get some friends together and do it, yes, it might take a little bit more time, but you'll save that five or 600 rand a month. The question is, what's more important to you and what's more important for our country? And I think that's the question that people need to ask themselves and answer. 100%. I, I, I have to agree with you on that one. I think we can we can make a difference. And even at home, I was telling everybody we need to start look at alternatives, ways of energizing. As You know, this topic always comes up uh, when there's load shedding and we say we have to find alternative mm-hmm. ways. Uh, and also when we have things like this with the fuel price, there has to be, we can be smart about it. I'm pretty sure we can be smart about it. Uh, and uh, we, just, we just have to be a little bit proactive. Now, uh, Dale, I just want to ask you this one thing and I'm not too sure if I'm if, if I was right or wrong on this one because obviously we're seeing European countries uh, major ma- major buyers of wheat uh, from Russia and Ukraine and we've seen I'm not too sure if the holy month of Ramadan is coming up and uh, the females are starting to buy in bulk flour you know for their savories and for this and for that and maybe that's why uh, the the shelves are starting to get empty as far as flour is concerned South Africa is South, South Africa get get their flour from South Africa the wheat, this doesn't affect us uh, this uh, the, the the flour import or the wheat import from Russia and Ukraine Well it's going to affect us um, because <coughs> excuse me um, <coughs> While we have uh, the vast majority of, of you know, in, as you say, internal uh, production and consumption of, of things like wheat and, and maize, and, and we're not really dependent upon, nearly as heavily dependent upon that, we do import some. Uh, but beyond that, it's not simply the direct imports. It's, again, some of the knock-on effects of, of, uh, of other things. So if, for example, um, if Ukraine's uh, wheat exports and, and general agriculture exports, along with Russia's, are basically cut off, then we move to other sources and other markets in order to, to uh, make up for those. Um, and to, if we have, a, for example, let's say next year we have a drought. Uh, 
and uh, we don't have a great harvest, and we we need some imports. Well, then the prices of those, if other countries, just like our commodities, if you've seen platinum, manganese, all the other commodities are going up because of Russia's uh, economic. That, that'll happen with foodstuffs as well. So we're going to be paying more because people are going to charge more for for doing that. So there are many different kinds of knock-on effects. It doesn't make. It's not just a question of whether or not we're importing from Ukraine. It's going to have. It's almost like a domino effect when it happens through the inter. Because we're very. What's happened over the last thirty years is the international market has become so integrated that you have the production in one place, you have storage in another country, you have uh, manufacturing in that, you have distribution in another, and when that supply line gets disrupted, prices go up. Well, it's a bit of a concerning situation. This really is, uh, but uh, hopefully we find a way out of it. Uh, we, it's in our duas, it's in our prayers that this uh, conflicts come to an end quite soon. But Dale, we thank you once again. It's always uh, fantastic. It's always a pleasure having an expert on uh, the airwaves to explain us and to it sort of it sort of brings us this calmness. You know, you get worried. The listeners get worried. We have the experts coming in and telling us this is what it's all about. And subhanAllah, we're quite happy with that deal. Uh, we thank you once again for taking our time. And I really hope, I really hope our next interview is the war is over, everything's recovering, and how's it going to be affecting South Africa? I, I hope so too, Yusuf. I hope so too. Thanks a lot for making time for us, Dale. Okay, my pleasure as always. Good Thanks. afternoon. Afternoon. Our previous conversation, we said, we hope it doesn't come to this. We hope it doesn't come to a war starting and it's going to affect us as far as oil prices is concerned. I, you know, I was trying to get some clarity on that. This interview is an interview we're hoping doesn't happen, that uh, the war is on. And it's starting. The knock-on effect is starting. It's starting to hit our pockets. And, uh, you know, nobody likes to see conflict anywhere. And it's starting to falter at home. I hope the next interview, inshallah, inshallah, will be a better one where we say, Hi, Dale. Good news. Things are going well. War is over. Everybody learned their lesson. And uh, here... Prices of oil is starting to come down, and uh, how's it going to be affecting South Africans? I wish, I wish, inshallah, that'll be a really nice interview. Uh, but uh, it's 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 quite bleak currently. Marcus Sahaba Online Radio, empowering the Ummah.